the unique nature of the guard is that a lot of the times what we get asked to do doesn't necessarily line up with our military job. You know, we have uh, here in Kentucky, we have field artillery soldiers uh, who are not shooting their rockets. They're filling sandbags or doing search and rescue or going door to door to check on people or doing logistics and supplies. So we have uh, a lot of tools at our disposal. And probably what makes us the most effective, particularly in the state response, is our ability to uh, mobilize and organize and bring a sense of structure to a chaotic environment. This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsu Politics. Thank you so much for joining us for a new episode of Pantsuit Politics. One of our listeners, Megan, offered a very beautiful description of what we do here about our last episode. She called it a big picture reflection that helps us see beyond the current political rhetoric. And we're going to try to offer that again today by talking about the National Guard. You've probably been hearing about the National Guard in just a huge variety of contexts over the past few years, being deployed around protests and border issues, as well as driving school buses and helping set up emergency hospital overflow areas during COVID. So we wanted to spend some time talking about what the National Guard is, and even more importantly, who makes up the National Guard? The people behind this incredibly diverse work offer us a lot to think about as citizens, and we're excited to discuss that today with Lieutenant Colonel Stephen Martin, who is the Director of Public Affairs with Kentucky's National Guard. Before we share Beth's interview with Lieutenant Colonel Martin, we just wanted to give a short reminder that we'll be talking live with our premium members on February 22nd at 8.30 p.m. Eastern and would love for all of you to join us. If you subscribe via Apple Podcast subscriptions, please, please, please follow the link in the show notes to ensure that we have your email address so that you can get the link to this event. If your membership is through Patreon, you'll receive all the connection information there. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box. 
plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Friend of the show, Dr. Carla Vermulian, who is an expert in disaster mental health, gave us a perfect introduction to today's conversation. She wrote, I was happy to hear that you'll be talking about the incredible importance of the National Guard that's often not recognized by the public. Here's a piece of background info I recently learned from a colleague in emergency management that I thought might be of interest, though it is pretty grim. Throughout the first waves of the pandemic, New York State National Guard members were deployed to participate in body retrieval from people's homes after home deaths. The logic was that there was no point in sending overtaxed EMT teams when it was too late for them to help, and funeral homes were too overwhelmed to keep up with collecting remains. So instead, the Guard were sent out to retrieve the corpses and transport them for processing. You can imagine the mental health impact of this task, especially on the young service members who certainly hadn't signed up for that particular form of service. I just thought that that was such an intense example of the kinds of demands service members can be charged with meeting without any acknowledgement from the public. Thank you to Dr. Vermillion for sharing that. I think that is an incredibly helpful insight. And so we hope to provide a little of that acknowledgement from the public today and to learn more about this work from Lieutenant Colonel Stephen Martin of the Kentucky National Guard. Lieutenant Colonel Martin, I'm really grateful that you're spending some time with us today. I would love to just get from you National Guard 101. Our listeners have been hearing about the National Guard in so many contexts over the past year, driving school buses, assisting at hospitals, disaster relief. And so we wanted to take a second and say, you know, what is this organization? Who makes up the National Guard? And how is it that you all are involved in so many different areas of our lives? Certainly, the Kentucky National Guard and the National Guard as, as a whole is a, really a unique organization in the Department of Defense where you have uh, active duty Army, you have active duty Air Force, active duty Marines, you have Army Reserve, Air Force Reserve, a, a, whole, a host of uh, members of the military, and they all answer to the president. So they're all under what's called Title X authority. And the president has the authority to tell them what to do, when and where to go. And um, and they're funded directly and solely through the federal government. Where the National Guard is different is we answer to the president as well. And he can he or she can uh, mobilize us and deploy us overseas or stateside 
but we also answer to the governor. And that's where uh, flood relief comes from, tornado relief comes from, hurricane relief. And so we answer to both the, uh, the governor and the president. We have a dual mission, uh, I, I guess is a good way to describe it. Uh, so uh, in some instances, uh, the president will mobilize us or the Department of Defense will mobilize us to go overseas to Kosovo or to Iraq and, and the federal government's paying our bill. And uh, we're command directed to go there. If there's a tornado or hurricane support, then the governor has the authority to call us up. And then the state is actually paying for that and under state active duty. And it looks a little different in each state, uh, but that's really the overarching description for how National Guard works in general. And that's how it works here in Kentucky also. So if I'm thinking about each state's guard, what does the organizational structure look like knowing that you have that dual reporting to both the president and the governor, who is the effective leader day to day? So uh, the governor essentially is the state commander in chief, you know, while the president is the federal commander in chief or the the commander in chief. And the governor will appoint usually, and and, and again, this is different in every state in some respects, but the governor will appoint a a two-star general. The one in Kentucky happens to be uh, Major General Hal Lamberton, uh, and most states are commanded by a two-star general. That person uh, is over the National Guard, and most every state has uh, members of the Army and Air Force that make up the National Guard. So it's a it's a joint organization commanded by a two-star general, and the governor grants that authority to the two-star general to uh, to direct uh, all activities uh, in the Kentucky National Guard or or in the National Guard as a whole. Tell me about the people who serve in the Guard. The majority of our Guardsmen are part-time. Uh, we do have a small uh, full-time force. Most states maintain about 15% of their total force is full-time. And that full-time, uh, those full-time personnel will uh, really facilitate the training aspect of the guard, helping to provide support to it, making sure that uh, things run day to day. And then the other 85% are what's called our part-time guardsmen. Uh, they're drilling status guardsmen and they have, they come in generally one week in a month, two weeks in the summer for training, uh, but they also have schools that they have to go to for, to enhance their, their job uh, in order to get promoted to the next level. Uh, we have professional military education that they have to go to. So you have to balance all of those uh, requirements with uh, whatever that individual does on the civilian side. I mean, that's from uh, lawyer to plumber to teacher to uh, to college student. We have many. Uh, the majority of our guardsmen are, are really probably college age, uh, and many of them will uh, take advantage of a lot of the uh, educational benefits that are provided by virtue of being a part of the organization. Okay, tell me about the training, uh, knowing that we're going to this conversation about disparate missions. How do you prepare people for all the types of things the guard may be asked to do? So guardsmen are, they're soldiers in the army first and they're airmen in the air force first. So every guardsman has to go through active duty, basic training, whether it's army basic training or air force basic training. And that, that really just teaches those basic soldier or airman skills and then all of the courses that uh, our, our Army and Air Force brethren are required to take are military courses. So uh, any promotional courses they have to go to uh, to get promoted, uh, those are all federal courses that are put on by 
big army, big air force. The unique nature of the guard is that uh, a lot of the times what we get asked to do doesn't necessarily line up with our military job. You know, we have uh, here in Kentucky, we have uh, uh, field artillery soldiers uh, who are not shooting their rockets in support of uh, our state mission. They're filling sandbags or doing search and rescue or going door to door to check on people or doing logistics and supplies. So uh, we have uh, a lot of tools at our disposal and probably what makes us the most effective, particularly in the state response, is our ability to uh, mobilize and organize and bring a sense of structure to a chaotic environment, much like a tornado or or hurricane relief that, you know, that we can uh, mass uh, support very quickly uh, just to be able to bring a a sense of structure uh, to that to, to whatever might have happened, and then we can bring uh, resources uh, and uh, just institutional knowledge about how to coordinate a response very quickly and effectively as it relates to that uh, logistical chain too. Uh, you know, how do you actually get that bottle of water from one side of the state to the other side of the state so that folks don't go thirsty? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good bridge to talking about the activities of the Guard just over the past year. Can you tell me about some of the things domestically that the Kentucky Guard has been involved in? Well, I can say for sure uh, the Kentucky Guard in particular, much like every other uh, Guard uh, in the nation, has been uh, incredibly busy with everything that we've been called up to do, both stateside and overseas. Uh, We've been, much like everybody knows, we've been dealing with this pandemic for the last two years, and the Guard has has had an integral part uh, in providing a response effort uh, to uh, the folks uh, in the communities that uh, are uh, most impacted. Uh, uh, And every state does it a little bit different. Here in Kentucky, we've really chosen to focus on helping uh, in the hospitals, uh, testing sites, uh, food bank support, you know, we helped to set up an alternate care facility back in 2020, just in case the hospitals got overrun beyond the point that uh, they could even care for uh, the individuals that were coming through the door. Thankfully, we never had to actually open the doors to the alternate care facility, but we were prepared to respond and have 2,000 beds available for those who are needing a place to uh, to recover and uh, we we stat we opened it. Uh, you know, we 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 stood it up, had all the beds available, and it was actually run by military medical personnel. We were we were fully prepared to receive them. And uh, again, we were thankful that that never came to fruition. But in other states, it did. And particularly in New York, uh, they had to push to a couple of alternate care facilities just because the hospitals were overrun. We had at the height of our uh, pandemic response, we had uh, about a thousand guardsmen who were mobilized to provide support all across the state. And I can't emphasize enough that these guardsmen are not, it's not a break glass in case of emergency. They're not just standing there ready to be mobilized. We we had to take them out of whatever uh, they were doing full time, going back to, you know, whether they were a lawyer or they worked in hospitals or mm-hmm. they were a teacher, we, we actually had to pull them out so that they could provide support. And, and we had to be intentional about that too. You know, we we didn't want to pull a doctor from a hospital uh, that was already providing support to say, well, we want you to be a doctor somewhere else. Uh, that that just didn't that doesn't make sense logistically. So we had to be a little savvy on making sure that we weren't actually taking away from the community. We were adding to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, most recently, uh, as you know, uh, historic tornadoes hit. 
uh, Kentucky back in uh, early December. And uh, we didn't really know how bad it was until all the dust settled. And, and at the height of it, we actually mobilized more than 700 guardsmen across 15 counties. Uh, and actually several guardsmen are still there even today, uh, moving on into the end of January, helping to provide support uh, with de- debris removal, search and rescue, uh, helping with uh, logistically moving supplies, helping to provide uh, incident awareness and assessment to the senior leaders of the state of Kentucky so they can make informed decisions on how best to uh, respond to the needs of the citizens uh, in Western Kentucky. And uh, it was a coordinated effort I, I, for me to say that, you know, we had guardsmen uh, boots on the ground inside 24 hours, I think it's just phenomenal because we're not a quick reaction force and we're, we're not designed to be a quick reaction force, but uh, we're Kentuckians helping Kentuckians, much like any of the other states that are involved. So uh, there was actually one instance uh, that we're just incredibly proud of, and it's, it's the epitome of, of the National Guard. We had a, a young specialist, uh, he and his wife were living in Western Kentucky and their, their house got decimated. I mean, just completely leveled. And, uh, he, uh, they survived. Thankfully they were not injured. And, uh, they, uh, after the tornado passed, uh, they got in their car and he drove his wife to uh, his parents' house, dropped her off, uh, and grabbed a uniform and went back into uh, the rubble to begin helping. And we didn't find out until five days later that his house was one of the ones destroyed. And one of, one of our leadership said, Hey, you're, you don't need to be here. You need to be taking care of your family or, and, and taking care of, of what's going on with your, your, your household. And, and he said, with all due respect, sir, he said, this is what I signed up for. He said, my family's safe. The insurance company's going to reimburse us for our home. Uh, and that's all in the process. I'm happy to be here. I want to be here and I'll continue to serve as long as you need me to. And uh, that, that's just really the epitome of a, a guardsman at heart, you know, people sign up to serve and, and when called upon, uh, they show up and they show up strong. That's an awesome story. What kind of support uh, is available to folks who have difficult experiences during their service like that? I mean, I, I would, I would imagine that uh, you're often called into spaces where you see things that are hard and, and emotionally, it's just a difficult thing to process. Are there good resources available for members of the Guard? From a uh, from an emotional standpoint, you know, we we mobilized several of our chaplains uh, to to go and actually help provide support and counseling. Uh, they they were there in general to to talk to the community, but specifically really to talk to guardsmen as mm-hmm. they were seeing uh, such real honestly death and destruction, particularly with the tornado. You know, we we um, we mobilized chaplains just for about every every event when when hurricanes hit. Uh, chaplains are on the ground there helping to provide some some uh, mental, spiritual, uh, emotional support. And then uh, we also have uh, family programs and and uh, grants. You know, we help help to coordinate grants for those guardsmen who are actually physically uh, uh, affected by the, the tornado, that they can apply for those grants and uh, and receive those. We help to try to partner and coordinate that with uh, with those uh, non-federal entities and other charitable organizations that uh, that, that help step up and, and want to take care of our own, take care of our guardsmen. So you have all of these domestic missions, and then you also have overseas missions. Can you tell me a little bit about the types of engagements that come up for the Guard outside of the United States? So the National Guard and the Reserves, they, they 
make up a significant portion of the deployed population. And that's by design. Department of Defense wanted to make sure that any future conflicts that we have is felt across the 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 country. And uh, there that was a noticeable change from Vietnam. In Vietnam, we had the draft going on and and uh, really the bulk of the force that was deployed were active duty uh, service members. And, and the Guard did not have as much of a role to play Guard and Reserves uh, during that time. And one of the things that uh, Secretary of Defense uh, McNamara at the time said was, you know, one of the shortfalls was getting the communities involved, that that was one of the reasons why they lost such, for a variety of reasons, I won't get into Vietnam specifically, that, you know, that, that's a complex and complicated issue. But but one of the things I identified was not having the community support to really keep the fight going. So one of the things that was instituted was we really need to make sure that we incorporate the Guard and the Reserves in future conflicts or uh, uh, future encounters overseas. And so for the preponderance of uh, the global war on terror since 9-11, about 50% or more of all troops deployed were Guard and Reserve. 50%? And that was wow. really to bring the communities in. Yeah. And that would ebb and flow. But on average, we would have about 50% of the Guard and Reserve across the nation you know, deployed to Iraq, to Afghanistan, to Kosovo, to Djibouti. Uh, you know, one-offs to uh, a variety of countries all over the place. We've since 9/11, we've pretty much had a guardsman deployed uh, every single day. There's there may have only been a handful of days, and just and that's just recently with our drawdown in Afghanistan and uh, Iraq that it's happened recently that we we haven't potentially had a guardsman overseas, and that and that would have only been a short window. I'd say maybe a handful of days since 9-11 of, of 2001. Right now, uh, you know, we have several hundred guardsmen deployed to the southwest border helping uh, Customs and Border Patrol secure that area. We have soldiers and airmen in uh, Kosovo and Germany and uh, the Horn of Africa. And, uh, you know, we've been uh, deployed to uh, the Indo-PACOM area as far south, you know, as far west as Japan to uh, the CENTCOM area with uh, Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, we even uh, send uh, guardsmen all the way down to Antarctica to uh, to help provide support down there, uh, lift support with uh, our C-130s out of the uh, the Kentucky Air Guard and and other members. I think have, have deployed to uh, to Antarctica, which which is neat. I mean, we, we cover about every continent. Just finished a court of thorns and roses and craving another fantasy world to devour. Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. 
If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsu for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. As I listen to you talk, a bunch of things are occurring to me. I always feel silly asking questions like, how can we support the troops? But I'm hearing you and and so many specific things come to mind. It sounds like you really need employers who have great relationships with the Guard to to give some grace and, and patience and flexibility to, to members who are called up. It sounds like you probably need chaplains. Uh, can you just talk about some of the ways that people who are not members can be supportive of the organization? So I think uh, one of our former adjutant generals, one of our former generals, uh, really put it best when that question was asked to him. I, I heard him respond to this several years ago, uh, Major General uh, Steve Hogan. And he said that oftentimes communities want to support the military and the guard in particular, and they will put a service member on a pedestal. Or they'll put that service member in a parade and say, thank you for your sacrifice and your, your contribution. But there's no mechanism to try to bring that guardsman into the fold, like into actually incorporating them into the community. So if I, if I could say one thing, I, I think really from a community standpoint, it would be 
uh, creating more intentional opportunities to make sure that our service members are are welcomed into the community and not just not just celebrated. Most service members don't want to be celebrated. You know, we appreciate the appreciation, but I think uh, more than anything, having uh, opportunities and mechanisms to to really be uh, pulled into community, I, I think that's where the most money is going to be made in helping to support uh, our our service members, men, women in uniform uh, across the across the gamut, active duty, guard, reserves. That um, and and that could look like a variety of things. Whether you know there are things in place that uh, provide uh, uh, service members to get together and and talk about their uh, their experiences or uh, counseling that's that's provided, just things that would bring awareness to to the military. And a lot of our local communities uh, do this really well. Uh, and and across Kentucky, I can tell you that. You probably won't find uh, more patriotic communities than in Kentucky, uh, in particular, and, and many of our states, uh, that they're just so appreciative and thankful for uh, what the military does, and uh, the uh, particularly the Guard, the resources that uh, we bring to bear in the communities that are hit hard by flooding and tornadoes and, uh, and the like, you know, that, that, that does not go unnoticed. And, you know, we do our best as well to to recognize uh, our employers and to work with them as much as we can, because we can't do it without them either. Uh, they, they are a critical piece, not only to the success of the Guard, but to the success and to the defense of our nation. We are beholden to them and to their support, and uh, and they, they should get as much credit as well uh, as even the Guardsmen going down and the families staying behind, the employers stay behind and have to have to figure out how to fill that gap and take care of that Guardsman when they come back. I'm sure the pandemic has changed a lot for the Guard. I am wondering, as you think about the future, what's next? What kind of people do you need in the Guard? What kinds of events can you imagine the Guard responding to down the road? I'm wondering if we can just project out a little bit. I wish I had a glass ball to be able to determine, you know, what we might foresee next. I think after about every season in this pandemic, we thought it would it would run its course. You know, about every three months, I think just the general feel across the country was, you know, we're, we're about out of this mess. And here we are two years later, uh, even just uh, with uh, 500 guardsmen uh, on duty today, providing support to 42 different hospitals and uh, three different food banks and multiple mobile testing sites. And, and who knows what tomorrow's going to bring, even just for the pandemic. I think in our minds, uh, we we want to continue to recruit uh, the best and the brightest, those that want to want to serve and want to give back to their community, and also want to be a part of something larger than themselves. We're uh, we, in particular, in the guard, are a family uh, where active duty military will bounce around from base to base. Uh, I I joined the guard at age seventeen, the Kentucky National Guard, and. I've been in. I've been fortunate to be in a number of units. All of them have been in Kentucky, and I can say I've, I've count uh, many members in the guard as closer than family. Uh, that you know, uh, deploying to uh, Afghanistan and to Kosovo and to the southwest border, you are you become intimately familiar with uh, those to your left and right, and watching their back and they're watching your back. So, you know, we'll continue to to recruit those who want to be a part of the team and want to contribute. And you do see some uh, 
recruiting shortfalls across the nation for uh, for active duty military and even some other states. And I can tell you, Kentucky's good. We are we continue to fill our ranks and people will retire out and move on and and uh, new faces uh, take their spot and are, are ready to answer the call and and provide support to uh, Kentucky where she's needed and uh, are willing to to do what it takes to uh, to respond. Is there anything I've not asked you that you think is important for people who are just learning about the National Guard to, to hear? We're, we are an organization that is a jack of all trades. We adjust on the fly. That's one of the neat things about being in this organization, that when you go through, when a unit gets called up for debris removal, hey, you, we're going to send you to Western Kentucky and you're going to have to clear 200 miles of roads over five counties. They are equipped with some of the equipment that they have, you know, that they're supposed to deploy with, with trucks and, and some safety gear. But on top of that, we hand them chainsaws and we say, you're going to have to figure out how to use this chainsaw. And that, that seems like it's, um, a no brainer. Hey, you, you crank it up and you start it, but we also don't want our guardsmen to be chopping their arms off or are hurting themselves. So, uh, there's a lot of, uh, second and third order effects that have to go into that. So, prior to handing a chainsaw to a guardsman, we have to figure out and make sure, you know, they know how to operate that thing and, and keep it running. And then, and then we can send them out on their own. Hey, you and three other guys are going to jump in a truck with four chainsaws and you're going to just start clearing, clearing roads. And, and we're unique in that we can trust that we're going to send four young soldiers or airmen out on their own and, and to be able to do that. And part of that is, you know, the, the, uh, the level of detail that we go into to ensure that all the blocks are checked and those, those guys are taken care of. And I'd say that's probably where our, our bread and butter is that, you know, we know who to talk to and uh, liaison with, uh, with FEMA and with other state agencies to make sure that we're providing the right support at the right location at the right time. Uh, We have those relationships established and, and, you know, that's our community, too. We know, hey, this makes sense or this doesn't make sense. And we know where to get plugged in. And and we have that level of trust that, you know, we're here and we're a part of the the solution uh, and not to come in. And a lot of times, you know, an outside entity comes in, it, it can be like a wrecking ball sometimes if you if you're not tracking and understanding the sensitivities of the situation. And I think that goes a long way, particularly as it relates to the guard and why we are so effective in our response uh, stateside. And I would say one of the neat things that we bring to the table on overseas deployments is our unique civilian skill set that, you know, we're trained just like active duty military. And obviously, uh, we're not going to be as immediately proficient as the active duty military on a particular task, but we can get spun up quickly. And there's mechanisms in place where if we find, once we find out we're going to mobilize to a particular location, say we're going to send soldiers or airmen to Iraq, we make sure that over the preceding year, they know what they're going to be doing and they're training up specifically for that mission. And then they get validated prior to going. So there's, there's a lot of checks and balances in place to make sure that our guardsmen show up and they can integrate with active duty military that they're performing to the same standard. And that's one of the benefits of the guard that we are, we are pennies on the dollar for being able to provide a mobilized force overseas that, you know, 
for every dollar you spend on an active duty soldier, you're going to spend 30 cents on us. And we can get spun up in a very short period of time and be able to provide a similar capability. Uh, on top of that, we are very um, creative when it comes to uh, overseas support. You know, you, you're in an austere environment and uh, all of a sudden plumbing goes out or even you need plumbing. And one of our guardsmen happens to do plumbing in their full-time capacity. They can step up and help create uh, solutions that are outside of the box or having uh, a lot of times, uh, I've seen several times where we will have a lawyer who deploys in another capacity and then they have to stand up kind of a mayoral cell and figure out how to... Uh, make everything work and keep everybody happy. And that lawyer has experience in, in, in that particular field and they can help step in and advise the whole organization. This is, this is the best way to go through, you know, to, to, to keep everybody happy. Uh, and so, you know, we bring a lot of resources to bear that are just um, hard to quantify outside of just being a soldier or an airman. I love that response. And it, it makes me think about how, especially the trust and community component, it must be very important to have diversity among your your members, that you have folks with lots of different occupational skills. I would think that languages spoken would be important, that both men and women, a variety of ages. I mean, it, it seems like that capacity to be so adaptable means that that everybody's strength is important. For sure. And, and I would say, you touched on diversity a little bit, and, and that's something else that we pride ourselves on, that we uh, we see diversity across our force as a force multiplier. We are, particularly in the Kentucky National Guard, you know, we make up what you see across Kentucky, you know, uh, black, white men, women, uh, all uh, races, creeds, uh, colors, religion, and that that makes us uh, that much stronger as, as a force, uh, particularly uh, as far as languages go, uh, we have, you know, quite a few uh, guardsmen that, that are fluent in Spanish, and uh, that helps uh, insofar that uh, we have what's called a state partnership program. Every state is partnered up with other countries around the world, and one of our countries that we're partnered up with is Ecuador, and we've been partnered with them since 1996, where we'll have uh, Ecuadorian military come up for military-to-military uh, -military exchanges, uh, we'll go down there and partner with them and uh, we'll show them what we know and they show us what they know. And uh, that has been a, um, a great resource for uh, the Department of Defense. When you when you talk about Southcom, who's in charge of all of South America and Central America and CENTCOM, who's in charge of different areas of Asia, where when you have the uh, those relationships, long term relationships with different countries, uh, that is a uh, another resource that uh, you know we can come in and we have a level of trust with that organization, with the with that military organization. The active duty military and Department of Defense as a whole can really use as an enabler to help with uh, getting inroads in and establishing trust and helping to make sure that uh, both sides are benefiting from from these relationships and these opportunities. Uh, another state partnership program that we have, we have two, we're fortunate that we have two countries that we partner with. Uh, so we regularly interact with Ecuador. And then another one uh, in Africa is Djibouti. And they are a, a key critical location uh, in Africa. Uh, that's the only country in Africa that has a permanent military uh, base, uh, Camp Lemonet. 
and uh, we have relationships with uh, the the Jibushin military, the Jibushin Navy, the Jibushin uh, Air Force, the Jibushin Army, and uh, you know that we've been cultivating those relationships for a number of years, and that goes a long way in helping to bridge gaps there and. Uh, and, and create additional opportunities for uh, the U.S. government to come in and, and, and uh, make headway and, uh, and establish relationships. The Department of State, uh, Department of Defense, the U.S. Navy, and I just can't say enough about those long-term relationships that we're building now with, uh, with those overseas countries. And uh, we see that all across the world. Every, every state has a number of countries that they partnered with for years and years. And uh, I believe uh, Nevada, uh, the, uh, Nevada has partnered with uh, uh, the country of Tonga, and Tonga was the one that was just hit by the, the volcano, the volcanic eruption. And uh, Nevada came out, I, I think, the same day and uh, with a formal statement of support. Hey, we are standing with our brothers and sisters uh, in Tonga, and we will make sure that uh, resources are going to be made available to them, uh, particularly from us. So it's one thing for the big United States to say, hey, we're going to help. And it's another thing for a, sp- a specific mm-hmm. states to say, hey, you know, we have a real relationship with you all. And, and um, you know, we know you personally. We're, we're coming to help personally. And, and uh, that, that olive branch, I think, goes a long way in, uh, those, re- in those relationships across the world. I love hearing that, you know, the word trust keeps coming up here. And as a civilian, it's really helpful for you to remind me that the Department of Defense ultimately has a peacemaking mission and that we actively are working towards peacemaking in the world through these types of relationships. So I really appreciate you sharing that. You know, we we utilize a lot of elements of instruments of national power as, as, a, as a nation, you know, diplomatic, informational, uh, economic, and military is just one aspect of that. And we, we recognize that, you know, while we have our role to play, uh, we're not the only role. So where we can help set up uh, for success, you know, diplomatic measures, informational campaigns, um, economic uh, benefits and, and the like, uh, you know, that furthers uh, the end goal of keeping and maintaining peace. You know, we're, we are, uh, we're there. We, we understand that the ultimate goal is we're there as a last resort. And, and we recognize that and, and, and we want to continue to make that so as much as we can, because ultimately we're here to defend the nation uh, against those that, that might want to oppress us. I think we do a pretty good job of helping to try to mitigate that and keep it as low, uh, low level as possible. Well, I am so grateful for your time and grateful for everything the Guard has done in Kentucky over the last year. And I just really appreciate you helping uh, take us to school on the, the mission of the Guard. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, 
And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code podcast15. Thank you so much to Lieutenant Colonel Martin. Sarah, outside of politics, I thought we could pick up where we left off on Tuesday when we discussed our disproportionate stress responses and feeling pretty wound up. One of the things that has me feeling very wound up lately is sibling conflict. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. I have two girls, 11 and 6. You have three boys. Mm-hmm. I can imagine that as the mother of three boys, hearing me feel stress about sibling (laughs) conflict among two girls probably makes you roll your eyes. So let me just explain by saying, and you have a little bit of this dynamic, you know, Chad was an only child and I 
was raised like an only child. I love and adore my sister. When she was born, I was 12. When she went to kindergarten, I went to college. So we did not have sibling fights. So when my girls are treating each other like the world is about to end and you are the cause of it, I I don't know what to do. Yes, I am an only child, but my husband is one of five. Thank goodness. So he has lots of sibling relationship experience, (laughs) Uh, specifically sibling relationships among boys, because he is one of four boys and a baby girl. You know, I was really spoiled. Amos and Griffin are two years apart, and they did not have almost any sibling conflict for years and years and years. I have found the incident of sibling conflict has rocketed (laughs) between Amos and Felix, who are four years apart, like Jane and Ellen. Um, so some of that, I think, t- I tell myself, like, some of the, like, this is, I think, just, like, developmental conflict between their ages. Because I really didn't and still don't have a lot of conflict between Amos and Griffin. And thank goodness, because Amos and Felix is enough to to give me all kinds of stress. So what does their conflict look like? Amos is constantly upset. He feels that Felix receives special treatment, that Felix always gets what he wants when he cries. He lashes out at Felix physically, so he'll, you know, all of a sudden it'll be like, Felix, Amos punched me in the head. And then Felix, you know, feels like Amos excludes him and makes fun of him and ignores him. And so there's just there's just constant, constant friction between the two of them. So similarly here, uh, there is some physical lashing out. Ellen feels that Jane antagonizes her. Or does not want to be with her. And I think that's pretty accurate. And Jane feels that Ellen does not respect her space. Also accurate. So I have just been struggling because I see that they aren't getting better at resolving this conflict. Right. It seems to be ramping up, not scaling back. And I think I get involved too soon because I'm always worried about, like, the dynamics between them. Sometimes I feel like I need to get in and protect Jane, even though she's older, because Ellen is so much more aggressive. And sometimes I feel like I need to protect Ellen because she's younger, you know? And I realize that my instincts in this situation are just off. Like, they're they're not informed by anything. So I have called in. I have phoned a friend. I have called in some help. <laughs> I am going to start working with Mary Van Geffen, who is a gentle parenting coach. Probably many of you know her from Instagram. I was introduced to her work by Erin Moon, who is a good friend of ours. And I figured if Erin has vetted this person, she's going to be fantastic. And then I started watching her Instagram stories and reels and thought, this is the person for me. So I've had one call with her so far, just kind of an exploratory call. And I felt like she helped me really get clear on what my goal is and like refine my question around this. Because because my question is just basically, how do I parent them when they're in conflict with each other the way that I aspire to parent them individually. Like, I'm a guide, but I'm not in control. I care about you, but I want you to develop your own skills. And so she's kind of given me that framework, which has already been pretty helpful. That's nice. Uh, Yeah, it was on my sort of New Year's awarenesses. (laughs) I won't say resolution because that's too high of a bar, but New Year's awareness to really focus on the sibling relationship. I ordered sibling without rivalry, and see, they're in conflict right now. How appropriate. They're home from <laughs> school and I can hear them fighting in the background. And so 
I've been working my way through that book, and I've read it before, but it was a good reminder of, like, comparison is not helpful, describing what is happening as opposed to, like, policing what is happening. And so I'm not, I'm trying to, like, sort of remind myself what works and what doesn't, but it is. It's just a really, it's a constant source of stress. And Felix is a very sort of, he has big feelings, much like Ellen, and it just, he still pitches fits and freaks out and... Oh, man, it's just wearing me down. I feel it's almost like I feel like I have like anticipatory anxiety when he comes home because I know I'm going to have to like get him to do his homework and be reasonable about snacks and practice his piano. And it's just going to be like a constant battleground. That's how we feel before bedtime, because Mm -hmm. our girls still go to bed at the same time. They both like that. That's the schedule that they want. We don't have to fight about the time at all. They're tired. They're ready to go to bed. But as soon as they turn the corner towards their bedrooms upstairs, They just start picking at each other, and Mm. I cannot figure out why. And I tell them, you're tired, so you're picking at each other, and you're not responding to that well because you're tired, and we just need to get through this process and go to bed. And we've tried lots of different frameworks, but it is so stressful every night. And of course, Chad and I are tired, and so we're not responding at our best either. And then a lot of times, because they don't really settle in from that conflict, they're up and down a few times. I just need to ask you something else. I just need a hug. I need one more this, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever, which always to me, and this, this probably doesn't speak well of me, but that always feels when they get out of bed, like I have clocked out for the day and my boss has followed me to my car. Asking me for more work. Yes. (laughs) It's so frustrating. So I I need some help. And what I really want to make sure to say is that I think it's possible to hear this and think, oh, my God, like, I don't want to think about conscientious parenting in addition to everything (laughs) else when I am wound so tight, Uh, which is a risk for me in this process. But what I'm really trying to think about is to think of this parent coaching a little bit like therapy because there is incredible relief in just saying out loud these things that wind me up and saying them out loud to a person who agrees and knows and is not taking a stake in my life whatsoever other than to be here as a reflective presence with me. And I think I just really need that right now. Well, speaking of the fact that we all feel wound so tight and response to our last conversation, we got a DM on Instagram from Kristen, who really succinctly described a lot of what we were talking about and continue to talk about. She said, I have been inordinately anxious lately, and I keep thinking, nothing is different. Why am I so stressed? And I think therein lies the answer. Nothing is different. I'm still raising a toddler in the midst of a global crisis. I'm still trying to manage the needs of my family and my employer. I'm still trying to keep myself well and wondering if any given activity I could do for myself is safe if I even have the time. And I think she's right, that things feel kind of stuck in a stressful way. We also got this beautiful reminder from Becky on Patreon that the universe keeps moving, and so do we. She wrote, we are just coming off peak percentage change. I'm assuming she means decrease. In day length, last week. Add to this that February is our coldest month, even though our days have been getting longer for weeks. And just like the air around us, it takes time for our bodies to change course out of hibernation mode. So not only does February bring on winter fatigue, but our bodies are still feeling the drain from lack of sunlight. I loved that. And it's such Mm -hmm. a good reminder that spring is coming and we're getting there together. And we so appreciate all of you getting there with us. We will be back with you here next week. Until then, have the best weekend available to you. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director.
Maggie Penton is our Community Engagement Manager. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Helen Handley. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis-Kasling. Barry Kaufman. Molly Kors. The Creeps! Lori Ladau. Lily McClure. Jared Minson. Emily Neasley. The Cousins! Tawny Peterson. Tracy Putoff. Sarah Ralph. Jeremy Sequoia. Katie Steigers. Karen True. Annika Uveline. Nick and Elisa Valelli. Amy Whited. Jeff Davis. Melinda Johnston. Ashley Thompson. Michelle Wood. Joshua Allen. Morgan McHugh. Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller.